Hello, everyone, and welcome to Snap Economics, the podcast where one economics student seeks to explain Snap, the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, and dispel the many misconceptions that Americans hold about the successor to food stamps. From the so-called welfare queens, to confusion about the eligibility requirements and concerns that the program is nothing more than an economic drain to society, we are going to cover it all. I'm your host, Marie Sullivan, and let's jump on in. On today's episode, we'll be covering the history of SNAP's predecessors and the structure of the program today, including the eligibility requirements and the impact it has had on American citizens. We begin our episode with a brief history of food stamps in the United States. The following outline is by no means exhaustive, and the legislation covered changed and contributed more than the few key components I mentioned. My sources for this information are the USDA SNAP website and SNAP to Health. The origins of SNAP are found in the 1930s, a time period defined by untold economic hardship as a result of the Great Depression. During this time, prices for crops fell dramatically, and farms throughout America found themselves with an excess supply and few buyers. Numerous social programs were created during this time to stymie the effects of the Depression and help Americans get back up on their feet. One of these programs was the Agricultural Adjustment Act, in which the foundation for SNAP can be found in the Federal Surplus Relief Corporation. This program allowed the federal government to buy crops from farms at discounted prices and then distributed the food among hunger relief agencies across the country. This program continued until the Secretary of Agriculture, Henry Wallace, retired it in favor of the first food stamps program in the United States. The food stamps plan, as it was called, was a vital component of President Franklin Delano Roosevelt's New Deal program, which went into effect in 1939. The food stamps plan, made food assistance available to all low-income individuals. This program had two types of stamps, the orange stamps, which were used to buy food and household items like soap, and the blue stamps, which could be used to purchase foods that were listed by stores as in surplus, like flour and dry beans. Participants in the program purchased booklets of orange stamps, and for every dollar of orange stamps purchased, participants were given 50 cents of blue stamps. Additionally, These stamps could not be used to buy alcohol or tobacco. The program came to a close in 1943 as a result of the United States' entry into World War II and the significant economic boom that followed the end of the war, causing poverty rates in the U.S. to plummet. In one of his first actions upon taking office, President John F. Kennedy piloted the reintroduction of food stamps in several states in 1961. This pilot program required participants to purchase food stamps and removed the concept of stamps meant specifically for surplus foods. The pilot programs came to a close in 1964 when President Lyndon B. Johnson introduced his Great Society program, of which the Food Stamp Act was a part. The goal of this act was to put agricultural overproduction to good use while improving nutrition levels in low-income families. In the Food Stamps Act, participants were required to purchase stamps just as the previous program had required, with the money household normally allotted for food. Participants received a benefit or a bonus amount based on their income levels, which was meant to enable participants to purchase affordable, nutritionally adequate diets. The Thrifty Food Plan defined nutritionally adequate diet requirements and was the basis for designing food stamp program benefits. It was determined using the data from the Consumer Price Index 
and represented a national average of expenditures for a four-person household consisting of two adults and two school-aged children. It was then adjusted for other household sizes through a formula that accounted for economies of scale. The Food Stamp Act was handled at both federal and state levels, with the federal government funding the program and handling the process of registering retailers, while allowing states to process applications and distribute benefits amongst the participants. In the 1970s, the program grew substantially, and several amendments passed during this decade that created more specific requirements. The Food Stamp Act Amendment of 1970 established uniform national standards of eligibility, as well as work registration requirements. It also set the requirement that the allotments were to be equivalent to the cost of a nutritionally adequate diet, as determined by the previously mentioned Thrifty Food Plan. The Agriculture and Consumer Protection Act of 1973 expanded the program to include drug addicts and alcoholics in treatment and rehabilitation centers, (laughs) required the establishment of temporary eligibility standards for disasters, and added the seeds and plants that produce food as a category that participants could purchase with their benefits. The biggest changes came with the Food and Agriculture Act of 1977, in which the purchase requirements were eliminated. This acted numerous other things as well for the program, the most notable of which included the restriction of eligibility for students, the requirement that each state develop a disaster plan, increase federal funding for states' anti-fraud activities, and establish ground rules for the Indian Tribal Organization administration of the food stamp program on reservations. Following this act, participation increased substantially. The food stamp program had grown to be a large and expensive project and as such had come under fire in the early 1980s. Legislation was enacted, cutting parts of the program and tightening the eligibility requirements, including adding the option for states to require job searches of applicants and participants and the counting of retirement accounts as resources when determining eligibility and benefits. However, in the latter half of the 1980s, the severe domestic hunger problem in the United States was recognized, and the food stamp program received some improvements, including the expansion of eligibility to the homeless increased and increased nutrition education. The Hunger Prevention Act of 1988 and the Mickey Leland Memorial Domestic Hunger Relief Act in 1990 authorized nutrition education grants, established the electronic benefit transfer as an alternative form of issuance, and increased benefits by applying a multiplication factor to the thrifty food plan costs, among other things. The 1990s saw increased efforts by states to fight hunger with the implementation of the Food Stamp Nutrition Education Program. This program, known as the FSNE, is optional as each state can decide to devise their own plan and provide nutritional messages that reinforce the link between healthy diet and food security. This is achieved through information and nutrition training made available to education to eligible <laughs> households. The aim of this is to improve healthy food choices on budgets and encourage active lifestyles that meet the current dietary guidelines for Americans. In 1993, the Mickey Leland Childhood Hunger Relief Act was passed, which simplified the household definition and generally helped families with children particularly young ones, receive more benefits. The electronic benefit transfer is an electronic system that eliminated the need for the physical stamps and instead provided a debit card to participants through which their government benefits were transferred from a federal account to the retailer account. Pilot programs began for this in 1984, and it was established as an alternative form of issuance in 1990. 
It became considerably more widespread in the early 2000s, and a national standard of portability of food stamp benefits was established by the Electronic Benefit Transfer Interoperability and Portability Act of 2000. <laughs> Try saying that five times fast. The ET EBT, as it is also known, has helped reduce food stamp fraud as an electronic record of each related transaction exists, making it easy to identify violations. Additionally, by allowing participants to utilize something as nondescript as a debit card, rather than the very obvious stamps, it speeds up transactions and reduces the embarrassment and judgment felt by many food stamp recipients. Participation in the program was down in the early 2000s, and it was thought this was partially due to the overly complicated process of accessing the program as a result of the tangled web of rules that surround participation. The Farm Security and Rural Investment Act of 2002 addressed this by providing states with options to simplify the program by aligning it with TANF and index this standard deduction each year to account for inflation. However, in 2008, participation in the food stamps program spiked as the economy crashed and the Great Recession began. The Food Conservation Energy Act of 2008 brought many changes to the program, including the change of the federal name for the program to SNAP, which was done in an attempt to fight the stigma associated with food stamps that had built over the decades. The bill also prioritized simplifying administration, improving access to the program, and encouraging healthier lifestyles through education about nutrition. In 2009, the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act was passed, and SNAP benefits were temporarily increased for households. This was done because SNAP benefits are almost always spent when they are received, and by increasing them, the amount of money flowing in the economy increased, stimulating economic activity. I will address this idea, also known as the multiplier theory, in a further episode. In 2010, the education portion of SNAP, known as SNAP-Ed, was restructured when the Healthy Hunger-Free Kids Act of 2010 passed. This changed the program into the Nutrition, Education, and Obesity Prevention Grant Program, which changed its structure to, so the federal government could uh, award grant funding without states having to contribute. It also shifted the focus from nutrition to nutrition and obesity prevention. The Agricultural Act of 2014, also known as the Farm Bill, included many changes to SNAP, most notably the allowance of pilot testing or the use of cell phones to redeem benefits and the pilot testing for online benefit transactions. It additionally expanded the, rule, the definition of retailers to include government agencies and nonprofits who purchase food and deliver it to disabled and elderly recipients. <laughs> this brings us up to date on our brief overview of food stamps in the United States. Now let's talk about the eligibility requirements to qualify for SNAP. In terms of federal requirements, for a household to be eligible to receive SNAP benefits, their gross monthly income must be at or below 130% of the poverty line. This is assuming a family of three, the poverty level will vary depending on the size of the family. Their net income must be at or below the poverty line, and their assets must fall below limits vary depending on if an elderly or disabled person is a part of the household. There are additional rules for certain groups of the population, particularly adults with no dependents. 
As of 1996, people who are over 18 years old but are less than 50 years old are limited to three months of SNAP benefits every three years, unless they are working or doing something work-related for at least 20 hours a week. This provision is technically applied to all participants, but exemptions to this rule include pregnant women, individuals who have children in their households, and those determined either physically or mentally unfit for work. States have the ability to suspend this three-month limit if a certain area has a high sustained unemployment rate. Each state has additional eligibility requirements, and most states have a website for their SNAP agency that includes tools that will generate information about an individual's eligibility for benefits based on their answers about income and household circumstances. States also have the ability to decide what their program is called, so only 33 out of the 51 locations, all 50 states and the District of Columbia, call their program SNAP, while the other 18 locations opt for a different program name. SNAP is undoubtedly America's most important anti-hunger program. Nearly 42 million people a year receive SNAP benefits, more than half of which are children or the elderly. According to the Center on Budget and Policy Priorities, during a typical month in 2018, 40 million low-income Americans were able to afford a nutritionally adequate diet because of SNAP benefits. I'll be diving into the economic and societal impacts of SNAP in a future episode, but for now it is important to keep in mind that this program impacts many Americans' lives, and without it, many Americans would suffer serious food insecurity. Thanks for listening to SNAP Economics. Tune in next time while I address the common misconceptions that surround SNAP, and some special guests discuss their own understanding of the program.